The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Sin is certainly having a field day in our generation. But are you aware that God's restraining force is actually holding back the powers of darkness? And that without this restraint, things are actually going to get a lot worse? Shalom, and thank you for watching Jerusalem Channel. We're based in Jerusalem where the Lord Jesus told his disciples to go and share the good news of his resurrection to all of the world. And that's what we share to a global audience each week in our Exploits TV show. Jerusalem is a special place in the heart of every believer, but almost half the city's population lives below the poverty line. That's why our ministry's humanitarian outreach has worked with local ministries, supporting food banks and assistance to donating fully equipped ambulances. As we celebrate 40 years of Christian compassion with the people and the land of the book, we value your help in continuing the Jerusalem Channel. The donate button at our website or at our app is the simple way for you to give a gift to keep our Watchman on the Wall lamp burning in these last days. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. It's increasingly apparent that today's culture has rejected the biblical principles of God and it regards those who uphold Bible truth with contempt. They think if only these Christians would get out of the way, then globalism and transhumanism could go full speed ahead. And God will grant the culture exactly what it wants by removing believers in what's known biblically as the great snatch, i.e. the rapture. In 2 Thessalonians 2.7, the Apostle Paul indicated that presently something called the mystery of iniquity is being held in check. But at some point in the future, the restrainer will be removed and all hell will break loose. So presently, total lawlessness is somehow being restrained by God. But in the next verses in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 8 and 9, it's declared that after the restraining force is removed, then, only then, shall that wicked one, the Antichrist, be revealed to do the work of Satan by counterfeit power, signs, and lying wonders. So if you think you've been hearing a lot about UFOs and alien invasions, we haven't seen anything yet. When God allows unrestrained evil, there's suddenly going to be much more UFO activity and deceptive demons masquerading as aliens. The world really would like to move on unencumbered by Christians, and God is going to grant them their desire, and consequently, the atmosphere will be full-on deception. The globalists, the leftists, the neo-Marxists, and the so-called 2.0 humans will get their chance to run things. 
God is going to give them that limited opportunity of time during the great tribulation in the future. And the spiritual vacuum that will be created by the rapture will enable the Antichrist to be revealed. In fact, these verses in 2 Thessalonians 2 teach that the rapture of real believers is a prerequisite to allow the evil one finally to be revealed. That's why I never waste time speculating on the identity of the Antichrist because 2 Thessalonians 2 says that only after God's restraining influence is removed, then shall that wicked one be revealed whose coming is after the working of Satan. The wicked one is one of many descriptions of the Antichrist in the Bible. And this word of God forewarns that he is going to be the most incredibly deceptive person in history because of lying signs and wonders. The world is already a dangerous place, but the Lord has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. Don't forget that. And that's the promise of Hebrews 13.5. And the Adam Clark's commentary notes that in the original Greek, there are no less than five negatives in that short biblical statement for emphasis. The verse literally says, Jesus literally says, no, I will not leave you. No, neither will I not utterly forsake you. Hallelujah. But meanwhile, in this present world, it's a struggle not to become anxious. And so we have to double down in our prayer life to offset the insanity and depravity pervading our culture. I'm learning to pray the Lord's Prayer with new emphasis that he should indeed deliver us from evil. Many of our brothers and sisters around the world and even in our Western nations are persecuted vilified and jailed for honoring basic Bible truths. Indeed, the world system rejects believers as deplorables. Yet, Jesus forewarned that this apostasy would happen. Nevertheless, we're still called daily to do justice and to walk humbly with our God, even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Prophetically, the period known in the Bible as the Great Tribulation is on the horizon. The test of faith has always been to remain steadfast in our conviction of God's love and sovereignty over our circumstances. And the scriptures are a powerful form of defense when spoken in faith. You may wonder, do strong believers have the power to manifest words of blessings or decrees against sin and sickness? The Jewish people certainly believe this. They believe that revered rabbis have this power. And strong evangelical Bible believers also have learned to pray with authority. Bible teacher Derek Prince of Blessed Memory once startled people when he made the simple, uncomplicated statement that he gets results when he prays such a statement should not be surprising. After all, the Bible says the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Indeed, getting answers to prayer should be the normal life for a believer and in troublesome times like these. I'm especially asking God to penetrate our hearts with wisdom during these days of deception. In fact, God has made a spiritual law that as we dare to decree God's word, the power of the Holy Spirit is released to bring his words to pass. 
Jesus said the words that we speak are spirit and life. And God has set down a principle through his word that he expects us believers to co-labor with him in prayer. It's as if God says, if you don't pray, I will just wait to act. One of my mentors in prayer in Jerusalem, Lance Lambert of Blessed Memory, often asked, why does God seek for intercessors to stand in the gap since we human beings ourselves are so much trouble for God in the first place? Why doesn't God just act on his own without having to partner with fallible human beings like you and me? Why does he deign to put up with all of our foibles? I'll never forget seeking God about whether or not a particular individual should be a part of our ministry team. And I felt the Lord assured me that that person was a valuable and genuine believer, even though he had many foibles. The word foible itself means weaknesses. Doesn't that unfortunately describe us all? God puts up with our weaknesses because he's continually training us to rule and reign with him throughout eternity. And we can't rule and reign with the Lord without a boot camp in the here and now. We can't grow without Holy Spirit mentoring and without learning to know God's mind in order to pray accurately and effectively. I rejoice that the good news of the gospel also includes healing and immunity from sickness, if we can believe for it. Great men and women of God, like missionary evangelist John G. Lake in Africa, during times of crises, brought Bible faith to the world because they were not afraid of sickness and disease. They risked their lives to minister to the dying. In fact, Christianity grew during epidemics because Bible believers were willing to risk their lives to help others. Today I want to review one of my favorite verses in Job 22:28. This verse has been a part of my spiritual life and training for years. It says, Thou shalt decree a thing, and it shall be established unto thee, and the light shall shine upon thy ways. I looked up the Hebrew, and it literally means that when you make a decision, it will be carried out, and then your ways will be illuminated. Of course, this verse is not referring to decisions made by unbelievers. Job 22:28 is addressing godly decisions made by God's people who are in touch with God and who know how to receive divine guidance from Him and therefore how to pray. This verse belongs to people who know how to hear from God. And when we know His Word, we can make right decisions and speak righteous decrees. A spirit-led decree implements the plans and purposes of God in the earth and destroys plans purposed against the godly. I like the word decree in these Bible translations because the word decree involves acting on our faith decisions. You see, we can mentally decide something, but we have to open our mouths and speak decidedly when we make a decree. And then that involves faith and boldly believing God. So making a decree is what I call holy audacity. Whatever a strong Bible believer decides to resolve, Job 22:28 28 promises that God will ratify and back the decision with his authority and bring it to pass in due time for the believer's benefit. 
And indeed, this is a promise that certainly has a touch of audacity about it. The commentary suggests that decreeing a thing no doubt alludes to the memorable case of Abraham's intercession for the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you recall that episode in Genesis 18? God told his friend Abraham that he planned to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham interceded boldly with God. Even he gently rebuked the Almighty and that's friendship. When Abraham asked, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Shall not the judge of the earth do right? That's what we call chutzpah, audacity. So Abraham approached God and asked if he would destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if 50 righteous persons could be found. And the man of God kept negotiating with God until Abraham got the number down to only 10 righteous persons, which is the number that the rabbis call a minion for a prayer service. And God listened to his friend's intercessions and agreed to Abraham's terms that he would not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if 10 righteous persons could be found. Think about that. This Bible episode teaches us to approach God like a lawyer to make our case when we know we're on holy ground. And when we're sure that the Word of God actually backs up our case, we know God will honor His Word. I've drawn strength and hope from Psalm 37 for many years, and that psalm promises, Delight thyself in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Bring what to pass? The desires that God has placed within our hearts. While I was studying Job twenty-two twenty-eight about decreeing a matter, I also looked at the next verse, verse 29, and it's marvelous. Listen, when men are cast down, then you, yes, you the believer, shall say, there is lifting up. And he shall save the humble person. Job twenty-two twenty-nine. When men, when people are cast down, then we should have the presence of mind to say, Be lifted up. God will save us. This wonderful passage teaches that our decrees and decisions will not be disappointed. They'll be ratified by God Almighty. And God will give us the light of his direction, his governance, his aid and success. When men are cast down, this means when in a time of general calamity and everybody is miserable, worried, perplexed, and cast down around us, when people are down in their spirits, and it happens if you only listen to the news all day long, when people sink into despair, when men's hearts fail them for fear, when God allows us to be brought into trouble and judgments that he knows will ultimately do us good, then... We should say with confidence and assurance, there's lifting up in God. Yes, there shall be lifting up if we repent and humble ourselves. Then God promises we'll be helped and restored. God promises to, to deliver believers. While all around us, people lacking faith and belief are crushed and defeated. The Hebrew here in verse 29, thou shalt say there's lifting up, is typically concise one word, gera, meaning simply exaltation. You shall say literally, gera, exaltation, be lifted up. 
According to Benson's Bible commentary, this Hebrew is to be admired for its conciseness in scope. By looking up, you'll find consolation to keep yourself from fainting. You'll be lifted up like the eagles soar above the storms. And this enables us to rejoice. In my opinion, the ultimate exaltation is the imminent rapture, including the resurrection of the saints. Now, in a nutshell, that is literally exaltation. In a time of crisis and distress, the Jews consult well-known rabbis and sages to act as intercessors to decree a blessing over their lives. They believe if a negative decree has been decided on high, it's possible to fast and to pray to annul the decree. When a Jewish person is confronting a problem such as a health issue or a family matter or a hard financial situation, their first reaction is to pray by reciting Tehillim, the Psalms. They do this in every kind of crisis to achieve deliverance. And if problems persist, they may seek a rabbi's help. The rabbi will discern the situation and decree a blessing, saying something like, Go your way in peace, and you'll see that everything will work out. I find it interesting that receiving a rabbinic blessing shows that Jews do believe in the power of an intercessor. We Christians look to Messiah Jesus, Yeshua is his Hebrew name, as our mediator for salvation, and we also tend to look to our pastors and to strong spiritual leaders as intercessors. We go to them with prayer requests, because we know something of their track record. We know that God hears and answers their prayers. But let's admit that God really intended for every believer to be strong like that. The New Testament, in fact, speaks of the priesthood of believers and every man and every woman ministry in the body of Messiah. When various problems confront us, whether it's an invisible virus or any other crisis, Every believer should have learned how to read God's mind concerning the situation, to understand why he's judging us at this time, or to discern if the opposition we're facing is demonic. Then we must discern how to cooperate with God concerning a certain matter by decreeing scriptures in prayer. The prophet Daniel was an excellent example of an intercessor who made decrees on behalf of his people as did, of course, Abraham and Moses, who both interceded and convinced God to change his decrees of judgment. Do you recall how Moses, the man of God, stopped the Almighty from rejecting Israel because he interceded on their behalf? Now let's refresh our memory for a moment concerning 2 Chronicles 7, verses 13 and 14, because these verses apply specifically to national crises. God says in those verses, if, if I shut up heaven, that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence amongst my people, if my people who are called by my name, God says, shall do four things, humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, and turn from their wicked ways, then he promises to hear from heaven, and he promises to do three things. He says he will hear from heaven, he will forgive our sin, and heal our land. These verses apply specifically to Israel, but the spiritual principles contained can be applied to the people of God anywhere. 
viruses and other plagues such as Ebola in recent years have surely been forewarnings of plagues to come in the very last days during the Great Tribulation. From viruses to food chain interruptions, we're beginning to realize how fragile the world really is, and yet sinners continue to defy and to forget God. But God is not mocked. Britain said no to evangelist Billy Graham's son. He was not welcome to preach in venue after venue. And so God closed down all venues during the coronavirus nightmare. Yet the Almighty seeks for intercessors to stand in the gap to repent on behalf of our nations and to make up the hedge of protection over our nations. It's vital during a time of national judgment of any sort that believers are called to engage in identificational repentance to stop the judgment. And this is part of decreeing a matter. One of my friends on Facebook commented that he didn't understand identificational repentance. So it's vitally important that we not only learn what it is biblically, but also practice it. We have a good example of identificational repentance in Numbers chapter 16 when a plague broke out. Then the brother of Moses, Aaron, the high priest, took his incense burner, which is a symbol of prayer and praise, and Aaron stood between the living and the dead to identify, to make atonement. And he stood there as he identified with his people as an intercessory agent, and the plague stopped. As I said, Daniel the prophet also engaged in identificational repentance on behalf of his people. His prayer of repentance in Daniel chapter 9 is a model prayer for all of us. He confessed to God that God was perfectly righteous in bringing calamity and judgments upon the Jewish people because, as Daniel said, they had not obeyed his voice. And so as he prayed, he said, although he was a righteous man, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. Notice that Daniel didn't say, my people, they have sinned but he identified corporately with his people in prayer. He said, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. He didn't point the finger, but he identified with the sins of his people by confessing, we have sinned. Therefore, identificational repentance is prayer that identifies with a person's nation or family and confesses the corporate sins of a people group, of a church, of a nation, of a family, because gross sins are perceived to be hindering God's blessings for healing and revival. God responds when we humbly pray to acknowledge our individual and corporate sins. The purpose of prayer and fasting is to petition God to heal the land, according to that promise in 2 Chronicles 7. We're called by the Almighty to live out this biblical practice of identificational repentance. It's such a neglected truth, but when practice will open the floodgates of revival and healing. So let's learn from the prophet Daniel to repent of sins, even though we may not have been personally responsible for them. We do this by confessing national sins as our own and repenting on behalf of people when they are unable to do so either because they're spiritually blind or they're just stubbornly wicked. Let's not be ashamed to repent even when we feel we have not personally participated in wicked national sins. For isn't this exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross? 
While we were yet sinners, while we were hopelessly lost, Jesus patiently bore our sins. And he identified with our griefs on the cross, even though he was absolutely sinless. He stooped down to identify completely with us in order to save us. So now can we cry out to God that we repent on behalf of the blood from the millions of abortions that have defiled our lands? Can we cry out to God that we repent, that we watch societies being locked down? We were told to protect the elderly while at the same time abortions continued and souls were slaughtered who would have become the next generation to help to carry the burdens of society. Can we also cry out that we repent for many of our Western nations having destabilized society by tampering with the institution of marriage, something sacred throughout all of history in God's eyes? Can we repent also for the way anti-Semitism has hurt the Jewish people, the people of the book? Let's never forget to pray for the nation of Israel at this time. Many years ago, God told me in an epic dream that I must stand as a watchman for Israel when all the nations of the world turn angrily against Israel. And that's what we've seen. The United Nations has repeatedly condemned Israel in resolution after resolution, even though God specifically stated in this word that he will bring them home to their own land in order to redeem them. Yet in the face of God Almighty... Iran dares to threaten actual destruction of the entire Jewish state. It's so important that we understand these times, but spiritual things must be spiritually discerned. That's why in order to understand the times, we have to be born again. My friend, the Bible says the only way you will ever enter into the presence of God is if you are born again and your sins are removed. There must be a sacrifice for sin, and that final sacrifice for sins was willingly made for us by Jesus on the cross. But if you reject his atoning work of redemption, there's no other sacrifice for you. If you turn your back on Jesus, he warns solemnly, you will die in your sins. That's what he said. It's extremely dangerous to die in the excrement of your own sins. We need the covering, the washing of the precious blood of Jesus over the doorposts of our hearts. That's what saves us. The Bible says that if we believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, and if we're willing to surrender our self-lives to him and make Jesus the Lord of our lives, we shall be saved. So now is the time to call upon the Lord for the word of God invites us to seek the Lord while he may yet be found, to call on him while he's near. Let the wicked man forsake his own way and the unrighteous person his own thoughts. Let's return to the Lord that he may have compassion. Let's return to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Amen. I urge you to put your trust in the Savior immediately, now, today, not tomorrow for he has not promised us tomorrow. This word says, today is the day of salvation. And if today you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, for the Lord has borne our sins on the cross. And although the wages of sin is death, the good news is the gift of God 
is eternal life in Messiah Jesus, our Lord. Hallelujah. Well, I enjoy sharing with you on the social media or through our website at exploits.tv where you can sign up to receive our weekly updates and videos. Don't forget to download our free Jerusalem Channel app to watch all of our videos. Daniel 1132b declares that the people who know God will be strong, not weak, and we're going to accomplish exploits. Hallelujah. Until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. Be strong. Shalom. I'm Christine Dark. Maranatha. Sail Away by Christine Dark. Forty-four years ago, Christine and her husband Peter sold all their possessions to buy tickets on a round-the-world voyage, exploring the Caribbean onto South America, across the Atlantic to South Africa, then onto India, Sri Lanka, Singapore, Hong Kong, and Communist China, and finally Japan and Hawaii. The exploits of that three months at sea are recalled in Christine's new audiobook, Sail Away. Set sail with more than three and a half hours of exploring the world. Sail Away by Christine Darg is now available to download from the audible.com website. So enjoy a voyage of spiritual discovery as you listen to Christine read Sail Away, discovering the Holy Spirit on a world cruise.